0: Welcome to another edition of the informal podcast. My name is Sam Lewis. We're here with repeat guest Aaron Lewis. How are you doing, Aaron? Lewis is fantastic to be back. Thank you for having me. It's really good to have you back. We're going to talk some more baseball. I've been trying to talk baseball this whole time. Austin's not really into it, but you know, baseball is my favorite sport, and I'm glad that we've got you here to talk about it. It is America's pastime for a reason, and I am ready for it. You know what? People say that that football is now America's favorite sport, and what I have to say to those people is, you're wrong. I'm sorry. I don't care what your data is. We're we're subscribed to the David Fisdale so you know theology here, whatever the word I'm looking for is. We don't listen to data. All right. Baseball is the best sport in America. Everyone knows it. Well and there's a reason why young baseball players are getting paid $150 million over their contracts and the football players are dealing with CTE losses. So <laughs> nobody, no baseball player has ever got CTE. And on that happy note, let's dive right in. So what we're gonna talk about today We're going to do a recap of the offseason, all right? It was kind of slow moving, but we've had some really uh, momentous things happen here in the last few weeks. And what we're going to do is we're going to try to set the table for spring training. And then we're going to come back at you guys here in a couple of weeks with some more individualized team previews. We're going to get our predictions out there. That's not going to be this episode. This episode, we're going to recap the trades, the free agent signings. And basically, here at the end, we might try to give you some things to look for in spring training. So that's the idea here. Before we get started, Lewis, are there any, I mean, overarching things that you want to get out there before we dive into this? Well, I guess we're going to get into a couple of things, kind of like you just mentioned, but I mean, really it's been a relatively slow off season or maybe not slow, but just uh, there's kind of a lack of big, you know, splashes in my opinion. Uh, I thought you might agree. Yeah. A slow moving off season, you know, if nothing else, I I listened to the Effectively Wild podcast from Fangraph. Shout out to the Effectively Wild podcast. Um, and Ben Lindbergh said on one of the last episodes, he talked about the total amount of dollars given to free agents over the last few years, and this off season's right in line with most off seasons in terms of actual money spent on free agents. But it's been a lot slower. We're into February. There's still some big fish out there that haven't signed anywhere yet. So, I, well, I'm, I'm sorry. And I, I guess one of the big deals was it took a while to get to the point where teams are spending money. Right. We were well past the new year before you know any of these guys signed. You know, Usually, you get a few huge guys come off the board in November, in early December. We didn't see that this year. No, and um, I want to say that, yeah, I read an article the other day that said it, got, it had gotten so bad that many of the free agents were like gauging the interest of a free agent spring training team to get some looks out there, and get some reps, and maybe... Uh, I guess, impressive GMs, but I guess that had not obviously come to fruition. Well, they had talked about it, and they had actually set some dates. Did it actually not happen? This is the informal podcast. All right, we go off the hip. I thought that was happening. Did that actually not come through? Did I mean, I, not that I've seen. It, it may have, and I've missed it because I've not been super in tune with spring training, but I've not seen it. it I haven't either, and you know, a couple of weeks before spring training started, that I thought that that was on the table going to happen because there's a lot of guys out there but, I mean, most of, most of the bigger guys have signed at this point. We're going to get into some specific players here before too long. But why, why do you think we're seeing this? Why do you think we are seeing guys like Eric Hosmer and, and J.D. Martinez and some of the best – you know, Jake Arietta still unsigned. Some of the best free agents coming into this season – having to wait until February until they get their deal. What you know? What do you think is going on that's slowing the market down so much? Well, you, you asked me that question earlier when you kind of sent me the outline for this. And I had three basic ideas going from, I guess, most likely to least likely. And the first thing I thought was that they're saving money, the GMs are, for the 2019 class because... You know, you've seen next year's class. Huge class. Huge. The, the big fish is Bryce Harper, but I mean, there's also Manny Machado. I think um, Clayton Kershaw has an opt out clause. I'm reading that right now. Yep. Josh Donaldson, David Price, Craig Kimbrell, Charlie Blackman. That could potentially be, you know, historic baseball free agent class. Then the next thing I thought, and I was actually reading this on, I want to say it was maybe The Ringer. I only visit a few you know websites these days for my sports coverage, but they were talking about the MLB kind of embracing the NBA tanking model yep. of is it better yep. to try and compete every year or is it better to eventually, kind of like the Braves have done, the Astros did a couple of years ago, just completely bottom out and just say start over, from, start over from scratch, get these high draft picks, which in baseball, of course, the draft picks aren't as important as um, the NBA, but of course you know the prospects are. Well, it's almost more about free agent money at that point because the worse you finish, the more free agent money you get. Or the more, not free agent money, international money is what I'm trying to say. So, you know, these Dominican kids, Dominican, Cuban, Venezuelan, even the Japanese, I think it all Mm -hmm. goes into the same pool and the worst teams get more money to spend on those guys. So that's how you really build your system. No, you're absolutely right about that. And the third thing I thought that I thought about for five seconds and uh, I put that thought out of my head was that maybe the GMs are getting smarter. But judging by what the 2019 <laughs> class looks like, I don't think that's going to be the case because uh, all love to Bryce Harper, who is easily one of my favorite players in the league, I am anticipating the like Chicago Cubs or New York Yankees' $400 million contract for him. Yeah. Well, you said something earlier. You said that the uh, the, the highlight free agent next offseason was Bryce Harper, and I think that you're just patently wrong. I think it's Manny Machado, but we can okay. talk about that later. Sure. Both of those guys are incredible, and they're coming next year. I think the one I agree with all the things you said the one thing that I want to add to it though is that the luxury tax in baseball has gotten to a point where it's these teams are actually feeling it teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees are I mean I don't know what that what the math is but if you break that luxury tax th- tax threshold you're paying like two three four dollars per every dollar you spend on the contract in tax and we saw that with the Dodgers this year when they took on Matt Kemp's money and dumped all of the money that they had for this season to the Braves. Mm -hmm. It was so they could get under the tax for one year and reset their clock. Because if you break the tax multiple years, it keeps going up and up and up. So teams like the Dodgers, teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox until they went in on JD Martinez have tried to stay under the luxury tax number. So they don't get hit with the repeater tax next year and the year after that. So they have room to go all in on these guys for next year. And I think that's a big part of it too. Let me ask you this. The the MLB players association is obviously not happy with this with this offseason. They're not happy with a bunch of their guys not having jobs. There's been allegations of collusion among teams, like you said, the tanking thing, teams not wanting to win 80 games. You know, they figure if you're not going to win 95, you might as well win 65. Do you think there's anything to that as far as teams coming together and saying, "Look, there's no reason to pay a guy like Jake Arrieta?" you know, $150 million or whatever he wants because he's not a top-of-the-top pitcher. Like, you might as well not get him, lose those games, and draft your own guy who could be an actual ace. Is there anything to that? Or do you think that it's just, you know, a team-by-team basis? It's a little tough because I I have absolutely no reason to believe that the MLB teams have, you know colluded with each other and said, we're going to shut these free agents out. We're going to embrace kind of the tanking model. Now, on a, on a team-by-team basis, you know, 100%, we've seen, you know, what the Marlins are doing, what the Pirates are doing, what, in my opinion, the Rays are doing to a lesser extent. And, yeah, those teams have 100% said, let's bottom out, let's, you know, uh, blow this entire thing up. But, no, it, it's kind of tough to say that it's been a league-wide effort or even a multi-team effort just because, uh, you know... What i gonna say, baseball's not like college football. You don't know as many of those back channels. It's kind of hard to get into some of that sometimes. I agree with you, and I don't think that you can blame teams like the Rays or like the Pirates who aren't going to be able to go out like they're those teams aren't going to compete next year for these huge, you know, 3-400 million dollar guys. So, what incentive do they have to, you know, finish third in the division and win 83 games when they've just seen the Cubs and the Astros go completely into the tank? be awful for three or four years and then come back and win World Series. I think that you know, the MLB doesn't want to talk about it. The Players Association definitely doesn't like it, but it's kind of like the NBA model that we talked about a minute ago. It's You are much better off finishing last than you are finishing with the one spot outside of the playoffs in terms of future value. We talked about it on the NBA podcast with Blake Gandy a few weeks ago about how for some teams being relevant matters – but in baseball, I don't know that it does, because if you're not playing in October, then it doesn't really make much difference, right? Because you know if you're not going to be in the playoffs, then why does it matter? No, I think you're definitely right, definitely right about that. And the unfortunate thing, and the most you know awful part of all this is that I think the current collective bargaining agreement ends in 2019, is I believe what it is, is that or 2020. And the season after that, so 2020 or 2021, from everything I've read, they have said that there's a not – a non-zero chance of a work stoppage that year, which would be absolutely worst-case scenario. It feels like it's coming. It's, it's, coming on, it's, it's on based on this offseason. It feels it, like we're going to have a strike. It's been a good 25, almost 30 years. I hate to say it, but uh, it's, it feels like it's going to come. It really does. I'm I, Like I said, this is the informal podcast. I'm looking up um, the Kansas City Royals roster right now because I had a great point I wanted to make. This is going to be a fantastic point. Uh, you know, Three, four years ago, even, even last year, we talked about how mediocre players – in Major League Baseball, get ridiculous contracts. Mm-hmm. And the guy I always went to was a guy who signed with the Royals as a free agent. I'm looking for him right now. Ian Kennedy. Ian Kennedy oh, was a free agent two years ago coming yeah. out of San Diego. Had a decent year. You know, I don't have his stats in front of me, but he, he an average major league starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. And he got seventy million dollars yep. guaranteed. Ian Kennedy was proof that if you throw 200 innings, you're going to get paid. That's all he did. He, he made his 30 starts, and that was it. He wasn't good. He didn't kill you. And he got $70 million. Yep. And $70 million, just for a point of reference, in the NFL, Jimmy Garoppolo just signed the richest contract in NFL history, and he doesn't have $70 million guaranteed in his contract. So you got Sign b- your kids up for baseball. Play baseball. Mommies and daddies, mommies and daddies have your kids play baseball. But – I mean, the teams are coming around to this, right? Right. They're like, why are we paying Ian Kennedy $70 million? He's average at best. What What good does that do us to have an average guy on a ridiculous $20 million a year contract? So you can't blame the teams for it. The players are mad about it. But, I mean, they've just gotten conditioned to this where if you're decent, you get a ridiculous amount of money. And I think that where this is coming from is that Prospects, minor leaguers, and guys who are there in their first two or three years in the majors are so ridiculously undervalued. I mean, you're getting you're getting value out of guys like Chris Bryant and Mike Trout before he signed his extension, mm-hmm. who are elite players who you're paying pennies. No, and it, it's actually the same uh, deal in the NFL right now, where you know the experts have said that you know that middle class of players, so those guys who are in their prime playing ages, or maybe not prime, but uh, prime or post prime, so you're 29 and 33 year old guys have been shut out. I mean, we all saw last year with Doug Vister. I mean, Doug Vister could give any team quality innings. Uh, maybe not above average or good, but could definitely give you better than what most of your organization has. And he waited until you know, mid-season to sign. And I believe at the moment he's still a free agent. If I, I think I s- you're right. I yeah. think you're right. And it, <laughs> it just speaks to the system not being efficient because mm-hmm. – like you said, when the collective bargaining agreements up, we're gonna have a work stoppage, and it's because the the minor league guys and the young guys are getting paid so little. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason it is because the guys who are filling up the players association that are going to all these meetings are guys who have been in the league you know six, eight, ten years, and they're negotiating these contracts for guys who are in their class, and they want veterans to make all. It's it's like Chris Paul. Chris Paul was the president of the players association in the NBA. And the last collective bargaining agreement in the NBA came up, and it was so favorable towards guys who had been in the league 10 years. And everyone said, well, of course it is. Chris Paul's the one that negotiated it. And it completely leaves rookies and you know young guys out to drive because those guys aren't in the meetings. They're not getting their interests represented. And I think until that changes, we're going to see this kind of stuff. And teams are just wising up to it. And it's funny you say that because the NLB players union is represented by Tony Clark, Yep. Who played until he was 45, it seems like. Oh, he's, is he not still playing? <laughs> and so the old men and the young guys are the ones getting paid now. And it's funny that you mentioned Mike Trout because I actually just looked at his contract. So he made $20 million last year, which, of course, to us, you know, $20 is a lot of money. But It sounds like a lot of money, but for Mike Trout, that's half of what he's worth. Oh, if that. And that's why I'm so excited for next offseason because you've got specifically Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. But if Clayton Kershaw has a great oh, year man. this year and opts out too, Those are three of the five best players in the league. Easily, I mean, ten at the absolute worst. And I'm just so excited to see what those guys actually bring on the free agent market. Because we've talked for a few years about how Bryce Harper is going to pull $500 million. And I can't wait to see if it actually happens. Because he's worth it. No, I'm excited about it. I mean, Bryce Harper, I mean, I cannot wait to talk to you and Coley and whoever about, you know, getting in a pool about how much money this guy's going to make. But, um... I guess that's 2019 class. you want to talk about 2018 a little bit? Yeah, yeah. we should probably dive into this offseason since this is the offseason recap. So the kind of the skeleton of this is we're going to go into some of the biggest trades and then we're going to go into some of the biggest free agent signings and then we'll wrap it up at the end. So um, when you look at trades. I broke this down into three categories because I think about 95% of the trades this year were complete fire sales by the Marlins specifically and then to a lesser extent the Tampa Bay Rays and the Pittsburgh Pirates. So we're gonna go through those three teams first, and then there's a couple at the end that we need to go over that didn't involve those teams. But most of it is those three teams having just, you know, like I said, absolute fire sales mm-hmm. because I mean they're rebuilding. So that's what rebuilding teams do. So first we'll start with the Marlins. You know, the ownership new ownership group who has Derek Jeter as their face comes in. They take what was the best outfield in baseball, I think is pretty I mean you could debate that, but one of the best outfields in baseball, they that's trade the best, yeah. they trade all three guys. So, I mean, we'll get more into some team-specific stuff in the next episode, but we'll just break these trades down individually. First, we got Marcelo Zuna to the Cardinals. I think Marcelo Zuna, along with Christian Yelich, who we'll talk about in just a second, are two of the most underrated players in the league. I mean, those are really good ball players, and a lot of people don't know about the. Yeah, they were because they played Miami, but yeah, right. they were very good players. Right. Stan gets all the credit down there because he's hitting all the home runs, and he's probably the best of those three guys. But I mean, Marcelo Zuna is a really good, good good outfielder he's a great hitter what's he add to the cardinals what do you think about this trade i don't know i don't have it in front of me who the who the models got for him i think consensus was they got pretty good pretty good return yeah but i mean talk about marcelo zuna what do you think he's going to do for the cardinals coming up of this next upcoming season no I mean, I mean obviously this is not an atlanta Braves podcast but i'm currently wearing an atlanta Braves <laughs> crew neck sweatshirt i'm currently wearing my atlanta Braves hat but I think he's going to – you know, he reminds me a lot of Jason Hayward when Jason Hayward got added to the Cardinals in the way that, you know, they're not super similar players, but he's going to be an above-average outfielder, and that even better than that, really. I mean, he's an all-star outfielder at a pretty – for a year or two, decent rate. I mean, I don't have his contract in front of me, but Marcelo Azuna is not making uh, big-time dollars. So when he eventually leaves the Cardinals, which I'm sure will be here next year or two, do you have it right there? I just got it pulled up. It looks like he is going to make $9 million this oh, year yeah. in arbitration, and he's got one more arbitration-eligible year, and he's going to be a free agent in 2020. So, I mean, you look at the rate. He's making $9 million this year. If he has a good year, you're probably looking at 12 or 13 next year, yeah. which is a steal No, that's a fantastic deal for the Cardinals, absolutely. No, Ozuna's going to give them, and he's going to give them above-average hitting. If he even is an average outfielder, which I think he's better than an average outfielder, uh, he should give them everything they wanted. Do you think he's going to play center field? I think the Cardinals still have Dexter Fowler. Is that right? As far as um, I know, yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And so he's been their center fielder. I know Ozuna played some center field in Miami. He moved to left field last year when they swapped him in Yelich. Um, so defensively, I think he's a pretty good player. Yeah. He brings power. And he's just a good ball player. And at $9 million, I don't – I get that the Marlins are rebuilding. But – when you have Ozuna and Jelic on these team-friendly contracts who are all-star caliber players, is it necessary to deal them like they did? I mean, I, I understand trading stand because that contract is going to get ridiculous oh, yeah. in the coming years. But, I mean, the other two guys, and D Gordon, too, who we'll talk about in a minute, why are you trading these guys who are on relatively team-friendly contracts who are all-star caliber contributors? Well, you know what? I'm not necessar- necessarily saying I agree with this, but I'll play devil's advocate for a second. Um, I guess the way I looked at it, it was a lot like you know the whole Braves, Astros, Cubs model of let's completely blow things up. You know, let's get rid of all these guys. We've got guys who, even though they're on a team friendly contracts, we can get serious assets for. I don't have the exact um, players in mind they got because uh, keeping up with prospects this is a fool's errand. <laughs> but you know, th- they got enough where I thought they've blown this team up. They've you know kind of reloaded the farm system because as Miami's farm system has never been. Uh, that great in the last couple of years. It, it was in the past, but it seems like the last couple of years when they've been trying to compete, not that much has come out of it. Now, uh, I think where they went wrong was with, you know with the sell of the team. Of course, you had to get away from Jeffrey, Jeffrey Loria. You had to get new owners. That's a positive. Yeah, when Derek Jeter came in, you know people heard Derek Jeter and they thought this guy's a winner. And the guys who he's coming with, <clears throat> excuse me, just because of that, they want to win as well. And then the fire still happened, and it was like, what was the point? Of selling the team that this is going to be a sixty win team in twenty nineteen, and I think a lot of people aren't looking at the big picture. But um, I guess you could say it was it, it was the right decision through the fire sale, but they did it in a kind of a shady way. It didn't look good, and I think you know we're not going to get into the details of the sale. But from what I've heard, basically the the ownership group the the primary owners brought Derek Jeter on board to sell this right to put him as the face of it. Oh yeah, and in order to recruit other investors. I don't know if it was Derek Jeter, I don't know if it was the the original owners, they made some promises to these guys that, hey, you give us this money to buy this team and we'll never ask you for any more money. We're always going to turn a profit. And this is, like you said, this is not a Braves podcast, it's not a Titans podcast, but our experience is with the Braves mm-hmm. primarily. And this happened to the Braves when Ted Turner sold the team and Liberty Media bought it, there might have been an owner in between there, I'm not okay. sure. But when Liberty Media, Media owns the Braves, it is a... The Braves are a line on their you know, their income statement at the yep. end of the year. Yep. They their primary objective is to turn a profit. And you can't compete at the highest level in Major League Baseball if your primary goal is to turn a profit. When Ted Turner on the Braves, he went out and he signed free agents. Mm-hmm. You know, he made huge deals for Fred McGriff, who should be a Hall of Famer, and David Justice and all these other guys, Greg Maddox. And the Marlins are coming from a from a place of we have to turn a profit. And when no one's coming to your games and you have one of the worst TV deals in the league, you're not going to be able to turn a profit if you have a payroll near $100 million. So that's where it is. You know That's why they're doing this. And I think that they may have gotten a good return. I know they got Lewis Brinson for Christian Yelich, who's a really, I mean, he had a pretty decent year last year when he got a cup of coffee with the Brewers. He's a good player. But if he turns into Christian Yelich, you'll be happy with that. Yep which you already traded Christian Yelich for him. So, I mean, I, under, I I agree with, I mean, I don't necessarily, like you said, I don't agree with them doing it necessarily. I understand why they did it. But, man, it's got to be so frustrating to be a Marlins fan. You made some great points there, but it's sad that just the the, the phrase Liberty Media around me is like saying Saigon around the Vietnam veteran. Because <laughs> I'm seeing shrapnel right now bad. Oh man, we're going to talk about the Braves at some point. It'll probably be on the next podcast, but yeah, yeah, Liberty Media, man. <laughs> okay, the last, we talked about Yelich there a little bit too, the last uh, Marlon trade we need to dive into is D Gordon going to Seattle. Yeah. D Gordon, who is a really good player, a really good second baseman, going to the Pacific Northwest to play center field? Yeah, and I'll, I'll be honest, I've been kind of a D Gordon critic, not in a like really bad way, but just in the way that, you know, he's Exactly what you expect him to be. He's going to put the ball on the ground. He's going to try and beat it out. And he's probably going to play average to above average defense because he's just an athletic guy. But um, I did not hate, hate the D Gordon trade. I mean, uh, you got prospects out of it. D Gordon has, I think we can all agree, he's probably peaked at this point in his career. Uh, I don't think he'll ever be much more than a above average player. So no, the, the D Gordon thing did not strike me like Stanton, those are the yellows because those guys were all uh, in the prime of their careers, but had potential to get better. D Gordon, I think that was a case of. Yeah, they balled pretty low relatively, so high, so... Yeah, we talk about some guys that are better real-life players than they are fantasy players. Mm-hmm. I think Marcelo Zun and Christian Yelich are prime examples of that, guys who give you defensive value, who are doing things that aren't necessarily the traditional counting stats. I think D. Gordon is a guy who's a better fantasy player than he is I a agree. real player, because he's going to steal, you know, 60, 70 bases a year. He's going to hit for a pretty decent batting average, but he's not giving you a ton else. I think... That the Mariners diving in when they have one of the best second basemen in the league in Robinson Robinson Cano and trading for another one of the, you know, top level second basemen and immediately moving to center field. They didn't, apparently they didn't talk to him about it. They didn't ask his agent. They didn't do anything. They just said, we're trading for you and you play in center field. I think that's interesting. Like you said, he's a really athletic guy, mm-hmm. so he's probably going to be able to figure it out, but I think that's something fun to watch coming up. Just the just phrase, the Mariners diving in, does it not seem like they do that every couple of years? Has it ever worked out? I don't think so. I think their entire off-season plan this year was to sign Shohei Otani. Oh, man. yeah, I agree. Who, uh, and we'll get into Otani. But when that doesn't work out, you're kind of left holding the bag. And, I mean, I think D Gordon can play center field, and he's going to steal 70 bases if he yep. gets on base enough. But, I mean... It's. It, I agree with you. Losing the three outfielders for the Marlins is going to be much more impactful than Dee Gordon. Oh yeah. All right. Moving right along. Next on the list here are the Rays. The Rays seem to be in a perpetual state of rebuild. I don't. The, when they had, you know, Evan Longoria first came up, and David Price and those guys, they made the World Series. They competed with the Yankees and the Red Sox there for a few years. And the you know the Joe Madden years. They mm-hmm. had Andrew Friedman. They had. They were doing it really smart because they didn't have any money, and now they've lost all those guys. And they're still a smart team, but they haven't really competed at the level they did in at the early part of this decade and the end of the last decade. So Evan Longoria was the one holdover. Right. He's the one that's held on through you know all the sell-offs. They finally they finally sold David Price. You know they traded a lot of their other their other big-time players, but they held on to Longoria. That changed this offseason. They traded him to San Francisco. Yeah, and the Rays, it's funny to me what a PR department can do for a team because no one has bitched about the Rays in the same way they have the Marlins. Even though, in my opinion, it's similar situations. I mean, you've got these two Florida teams who, you know, the Marlins trade these guys and it's like, oh, my God, this is the biggest threat to Major League Baseball, this tanking. And the Rays do it and it's like, you know, people are saying, well, obviously they're buying them out, but it's okay because I think people tend to trust the Rays more in terms of this prospect development in the same ways, as like those guys you mentioned, like Gloria like Price. They came up through the system. I think Rays fans and you know the baseball fans in general are thinking, well, the Rays are going to buy them out for a year or two, and then they'll be right back into it. When in actuality, um, I don't know how close they are. You know, they, They've got no really stars to speak of. Now, I'm trying to think. Except Kevin Kiermaier. Kevin Kiermaier, who is one of my top ten favorite centerfielders in baseball, easily. Well, it's just a matter of time before they trade him, too, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. They're going to get something for him. Yes, he's so. going to get really expensive in a hurry. No, so the Rays, obviously, for the next four years, are going to be no good. Um, and it's funny because, like, even at the Marlins, I don't see a path for them to get back to being good. Because these teams, it, it's they're never going to spend on free agents, right? right? They don't have the, in a, in a non-salary cap sport, the haves and the have-nots, the haves have so much more more money than Tampa and Miami will ever have. So they can't get back competitive that way. So they have to do it this way. And you talked about how the, the public perception of the Rays is so much better than the Marlins. And I think it's twofold. I think number one is because Jeffrey Loria and the Marlins seem to always be doing something underhanded. They oh, yeah. seem to always be doing something shady. They make the World Series. They immediately sell all their good players. Then in 2003, they make the World Series again, and they immediately sell off Miguel Cabrera, Dontra Willis, all those guys. And then A.J. Burnett. A.J. Burnett, right, exactly. Uh, Josh Beckett, you know. You could make a legitimate all-star team out of guys the Marlins have traded in the last 15 years. The Rays don't really go about it that way. And the second thing that I think is the difference between the two is the Rays always, while, whereas the Marlins seem to be doing things that are underhanded and you know not caring about their fans at all, the Rays don't have any fans at all. I was and about to say, no one goes to Tropicana. No one. I've been there. It's a dump. Yeah. And no one goes. But they always they have a reputation of being smart, of being next level thinking. You know, Friedman, Madden, those guys. They're innovative. They're even though none of those guys are there anymore. Yeah, they're all gone. Yeah. They're all gone. But they still have that that perception in the industry and in among the media. Of well, yeah, they're selling off these guys, but they're they're a smart team. They know what they're doing. They'll come back around. Right. And I'm with you. I don't know that they will. I mean, they've still got Archer and Kiermaier. And other than that, how many more Rays can you name? Okay. I don't really know because, I mean, we'll talk about the Pirates here in a minute. You know, they're Andrew McCutcheon. But Evan Longoria is one of those guys who, even if he wasn't a star anymore, I just thought he's going to end his career in Tampa Bay. He's there, Chipper Jones. Yeah, which is it's funny because there's a lot of kind of weird parallels between Longoria and Chipper Jones. But now Chipper Jones, obviously, is a step above that. But, no, I definitely thought Longoria was going to stick around longer. That's for sure yeah it it seemed like he had made it so long that at this point his he's kind of de- de- declined over the last you know two or three years kind Ryan Zimmerman kind of yeah idea. Same, same kind of thing but you thought that he would transition to another portion of his career and he would just be a ray for life that he was the guy they had decided to keep and to trade him at this point doesn't make a ton of sense to me. What doesn't make even more even more so doesn't make sense is that you trade Longoria and you trade you know Dickerson and Steven Souza and Odorizzi and these guys who are under contract for a few more years, but you hold on to Chris Archer. Yeah, oh, what, that's a weird one. Yeah, what well, I mean, there's been Chris Archer trade rumors for what you know three years now, four years now. Why are they holding on to him when they've traded all these other everything that's not tied down has gotten traded in the last year and a half. Yeah, the Chris Archer rumors like you said persisted for a long time. And the reason I followed him so closely was, was of course because Atlanta was tied Yeah, in the Braves were for mentioned. a short while. And I mean, from everything I've read, you know, it seemed like Ozzy Alves is getting dangled out there. It seemed like every every guy of the Braves possibly could have dangled apart from Akuna, yeah. who we talk later. Yeah, we're not um, trading Acuna to anybody, I'm no, sorry. No, yeah, it seems like the race could have kind of had their guy for him and it just never never turned out that way. That's what doesn't make sense to me, because if you're gonna go Full on into the rebuild. You don't wait until a guy's at the Evan Longoria stage of his career where he's a good player, but he's not a superstar anymore. Chris Archer is still one of the best, you know, I don't know, five, six, eight pitchers in the American oh, League. I love Archer. He's great and he's still striking everybody out. You know, he's got good peripherals. Trade him now when the Braves would have given Ronald Acuna form right now. Oh, yeah. I, uh, they'd I still do been, it, I think. Right? So, you know, if you can get a haul, or not, did I say Ronald Acuna? They, yeah. won't, they won't give him Ronald Acuna. I'm, I'm going to say Ozzie Albies. Oh, yeah. But, but why wouldn't you – Why I don't understand why you wouldn't do that. And, you know, we don't follow the Rays as closely as we follow Atlanta, obviously. But, I mean, I guess they've got a plan. And this is this goes back to the bias about the Rays. I just assume they'll figure something out. Maybe Friedman had a secondhand man. I don't know. But, yeah, it's going to be weird to see. are move on to the Pirates, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that wraps up the Rays. The Pirates are the third team this year who were – really going all in on this on the tanking thing to say finally we're getting rid of our veterans and we're gonna go the Cubs and the Astros route. And the two guys that they traded were Andrew McCutcheon, another franchise face guy in a Longoria mold, who's not as good as he once was, but he's still a good player. Mm-hmm. Traded him and they traded Garrett Cole, who still probably is hasn't even reached his prime yet. You know, he hasn't been as good as he's gonna be one day. And they traded both of these guys. McCutcheon to the Giants Garrett Cole to the Astros which let's talk about McCutcheon first and then we'll talk about the Astros yeah I, I think it's good if I split those up because it's obviously two entirely different stages of their career McCutcheon's one of those guys who you know he was the face of the Pirates for a long time and we thought he was going to be a premier player in the National League obviously the last couple of years haven't quite turned out that way but he cut his hair and he, he lost has, his powers he, he's Samson but the black Samson <laughs> yeah. now I thought that McCutcheon this past year was a little bit better than people thought Just because, of course, he's not hitting 30 home runs, selling 30 bases. I think a lot of people are down on him, thinking, you know, since he's not an MVP candidate anymore, he's not that good. When in actuality, he's still an above average, you know, National League outfielder. Uh, But I was okay with that trade just because uh, McCutcheon is, in my opinion, probably not getting back to that MVP level. You got what you wanted out of him. Uh, You got a couple decent years after that. But it was probably time, if you you were ever going to trade him, to do it now and cash out. Yeah, I think you're right. I think this, McCutcheon and Longoria are similar cases to me because they were yeah. guys who were all-star, MVP caliber talents on small market teams. They were the face of their franchise, and they had the opportunity to trade them at their absolute peak. But if you trade a guy at their absolute peak, then you turn in the Marlins, right? Yep. You, know, you traded Miguel Cabrera, you traded Gary Sheffield, you traded everybody else. And so, neither one, the Rays or the Pirates did that. They waited until they're kind of on the downside of their mm-hmm. career now, but they still got a decent return. I understand that completely. Garrett Cole is another question entirely because he had a great season a couple of years ago, and he hasn't been as good in the last couple of years, but it's not an age-related thing with him at all. He's still uh, in his mid-20s, Yeah, he tw- he's 25, 26. I mean, was... he... You know, if you were a betting man, you would have to say that his, his best years are ahead of him. And... Now, the Pirates, not only are they not going to get those best years out of Garrett Cole, the Astros are. that The yeah. World Series winning Astros yeah. just traded for Garrett Cole. And I just looked it up. He's 27, so, yeah, pretty similar to that. And I'll be totally honest, I did not like the Garrett Cole trade because it seemed like, yeah, obviously, they got a good return for Garrett Cole. They, they got exactly what they wanted. But Colin I, Moran, I think, good 30s yeah, prospect. Yeah, and, and some prospects. But, um, you know, he's 27 years old, and, you know, pitchers' primes aren't until those late 20s, and they carry that into their early 30s, so – Derek Cole, you know, it's very likely that, for the, especially for the Astros, like you said, being a World Series contender, he could be a Cy Young candidate for five years. He absolutely could. He has been in the past. And in what was a down year last year, I've got the baseball reference page pulled up, he was still worth nearly three war in a season where he was over a four ERA. Yep. I mean, he is going to give you 200 innings pitched. He's going to give you right at 200 strikeouts. And with the Astros, this trade didn't make sense to me because it almost seemed like they were selling low. I mean, like you said, we don't know – Every prospect from every team, but Colin Moran's a pretty good prospect. I think he. I think I looked it up earlier. I think he's 25, though. Mm-hmm. You know, he's almost the Garrett Cole's just a couple years older than him. I feel like the Pirates are selling low on Garrett Cole. Is what I don't like about it. I personally agree, and I will say this now. I guess in a weird sort of way to defend the Pirates, Garrett Cole has never been a saber sabermetrician's dream. No. He, he. It's not like he's a extremely low walk, high strikeout guy. But I mean, over. You know, if a guy will go four or five years and you know keep defying those projections and those expectations, I tend to give them the benefit of the, of the doubt, even when the advanced stats are against them. And Greg Cole's a case of that just because he isn't, you know, a statistician's dream. Kind of like I said. Uh, I still think he's a very valuable pitcher. He's kind of in the old-school, workhorse kind of mold, he right? Is. He's oh, a big guy. He gives you 200 innings pitch in an era where nobody's giving you 200 innings pitched. I would call him a poor man, CC Sabathia. That's fair. The, That's and fair. I mean that in the best way. Yeah, right. Not peak CC, but... yeah, Right, I know what you're saying. And he... I mean... The Pirates, they got they got Colin Ranform. They got Joe Musgrove, who's been a decent yeah. major league pitcher, right? And they got a couple guys I've never heard of. So, I mean, those yeah. when you get in low minor league prospects, they might pop. But I feel like the Pirates would have been better served to ride Garrett Cole into the season – let him have you know two or three good months and then flip him for an absolute haul at the deadline. You might be right about that. You but right. you never know how these things are going to work out. I don't love that trade. I understand the McCutcheon trade, but the Garrett Cole trade is kind of a head scratch for me. I should also say this at this point, that the Informal Podcast loves the Pittsburgh Pirates. We think they're a fantastic organization. PNC Park is a wonderful ballpark. Yeah, It's a good organization. That we might not true. understand this trade, but go Pirates. <laughs> All right, so a couple of other trades before we dive into the free agents. Um, one that... <laughs> One that was interesting to me because I'm a Braves fan was the Matt Kemp trade. We got rid of Matt Kemp finally. Thank God. I know. I mean, there's some Braves fans who say, oh, he's, he hits home runs. He's great. But that was a good trade. That was an interesting trade to me on another level, though, because it was almost like an NBA trade where Matt Kemp has two expensive years left, and the Braves traded him to the Dodgers, who gave them all of the – I think Matt Kemp was owed $45 million over the next two years. The Dodgers traded Atlanta – $45 million in 2018 salary. Right. So the salaries matched, but that got the Dodgers underneath that luxury tax for next year. And I thought that was an interesting trade that we haven't really seen in Major League Baseball before. Yeah. And, you know, once again, this is, this, this is, I, we keep saying it's not a Braves podcast. This is becoming a Braves podcast. Obviously. But uh, shout out to my man, Adam Gawthard of Baxter, Tennessee, because me and him about had some still cage matches over <laughs> Matt Kent versus Inder Inciarte. Oh, was, oh my goodness. He was one of my favorite players. Inder Inciarte is uh, one of like the best 20 players in the league. I love Inder Inciarte. Oh man. No, and uh, no, Matt Kent, I guess the Braves got what they wanted out of him. And then I- I'm shocked. They got as much for him as they could, because if I was a GM, I wouldn't give you any can of beans. For no, him. it's just salary relief was all I was looking for to get out of it. I was looking to get off as much money as possible. And, I mean, they got Brandon McCarthy, who if he's healthy, he's a good pitcher. Yeah, and Brandon McCarthy, I, I think there's, at very best, like a 10% chance he's healthy and a good pitcher. That's but true. You know, I'll take a 10% chance that he's healthy over a 0% chance that Matt Kemp's any good. Right, and I 100% agree with everything you said. Matt Kemp is a bad baseball player. <laughs> he's good at one thing. He's good at hitting balls a long way. And, big long ball. Right, exactly. He's a home run hitter. He does nothing else for you on offense. He is literally worse than me at playing left field. I would be better left fielder than Matt Kemp right now. Shout out Freed Hardman Baseball. Freed Hardman Baseball, class of 2012. I played one year on the JV. We weren't very good, but I would be better than Matt Kemp in left field right now. But, as a devil's advocate to you, I looked at the Braves um, spring training lineup for today's game, and Johan Camargo was batting cleanup behind Freddie Freeman. Oh, God. And... While I think Johan Camargo is a better baseball player than Matt Kemp, and I don't think it's very close, him hitting fourth in your lineup is terrifying to me. I love Johan Camargo. But thats and if you told me that ten years ago, I felt like that's like Ryan Langerhans. Exactly. 29. I mean, and it's—we're not—you know—it's not 2006, not 1996. Home runs aren't the end all, be all when it comes to what makes you a good ball player. But my—I—the—the the Braves have literally no power outside of Freddie Freeman in their lineup own. anymore, except for. Maybe Ronald Acuna. I think this is a good time. we got to shoehorn Ronald Acuna yeah, in here well, because we'll get that out of the way. he hit about an 800-foot home run today in spring training, and I am more excited about Ronald Acuna than I've been about any Braves prospect or any prospect since Jason Hayward. Well, I was going to say, this is the most excited. I I think my hype for Ronald Acuna has surpassed Jason Hayward, and I'll go back to Jeff Rancor, so yeah. uh, you can probably tell this is going to <laughs> end up terribly, but I'm It's sorry. not going to go well. I'm excited. He is, he's the consensus, you know, he's a consensus top three prospect. He's getting comp to Andrew Jones. I've heard a couple of Mike Trouts, Yeah, you know, and I am, I'm so excited, but I know that it's just going to, it's going to end poorly. It's going to break my heart, but we're rooting for you, Ronald. I mean, let's go the right fielder of the future. Probably he's, he's 19 years old. And I hope that I'm him when I grow up. He 19 years old and he absolutely dominated double a last year, which is insane. <laughs> but um, unless you've got anything else to say about any of the other trades, I think we should dive into these free agents. because no, we've listen, been, yeah, not, we got a bunch of those. It's not just free agents. Yeah, we've no. been going at this for a while here. So, <laughs> all right, notable free agents. So we talked about the slow free agent market at the beginning of the pod, but there were some huge signings this year. First and foremost, Shohei Otani, the, the most hyped-up Japanese import since Yu Darvish? uh yeah, I'd say Yu Darvish. Am, am I missing one? So not only is he a Yu Darvish-level pitcher, he's also – he was billed to me as not only the best pitcher in the Japanese league, but one of the best hitters Yeah, he, well. he, he's an all-star level hit, hitter-wise. Um, I, I cannot remember the last time we had a pitcher who – I mean, we, we had our Carlos Zambranos. We had guys um, – Greg Maddox was a pretty decent hitter. Sure. But no guy who you thought could give you – Not all, someone who could legitimately hit on right. an everyday basis. No, exactly. This guy could be both an all-star level pitcher, but also – maybe not an all-star, but an everyday level – here in america right it sounds like the angel he went to the angels by the way if you didn't if you weren't following us if you're at this point of this podcast you're probably following it pretty closely but he went to the angels and it sounds like what they're going to do with him is they're going to i think they might run a six-man rotation Mm -hmm. so pitch him every six days and then let him dh three or four days a week which i think is perfect for this guy because i mean if he's an all-star caliber pitcher like you think he is and he can just Give you some decent production at the plate. He's one of the most valuable players in the league. Oh, 100%. I mean, if he, like, if I had to make a very conservative projection, I think he's probably going to be worth about three wins this year, you know, in terms of wins above above a replacement as a pitcher. And that's conservative. I can't imagine him not being an above average major league pitcher. And then if he gives you just even one win. As a batter, I mean, you're talking about four wins above a pleasure right there, and I don't see how it gets any worse than that unless, you know... it gets hurt. John forbid he gets hurt. Yeah, exactly. Right. No, him and Mike Trapp together on the same team is, you know, baseball nirvana for nerds like us. With and and Angleton Upton. Simmons, too. Oh, yeah. And I mean, Angleton Simmons, that team's got Justin Upton and Ian Kinsler. We're going to... Uh, we're trampling on the next podcast where we, you know, preview the season, but the Angels... Sneaky good this year. Between a pitching at Simmons at shortstop and Trout in center field, who's hitting the middle on that team? No, nothing. Yeah, there's no. That's a good team. That's a good team. You better be go to the corners because nothing else. <laughs> Albert Pujols is playing that first oh, base spot on. over there. All right, moving on. You, Darvish, um, the the probably the best free agent pitcher to sign to this point, I guess, with Jake Arrieta still out there, mm-hmm. it goes to the Cubs. So. What I'm seeing here is kind of a trend of the rich getting richer. We talked about Garrett Cole to the Astros, you know, we'll talk about JD Martinez here in a minute to the Red Sox. We've got four or five really great teams and they seem to keep getting better. The Cubs, we got John Lester, Jose Quintana, and now they're adding U Darvish. That's a scary team in Chicago. Yeah, it's so weird because when you Darvish signed, like my first thought was like, Wow, the Cubs are once again going all in, like they want another World Series. But the Cubs fans I talked to Weren't necessarily mad about that signing, but you know, said eh, he had kind of a an year last year. But I think when you look, you know, beyond ERA, beyond uh, your traditional statistics, you'd always have at very worst a solid year. I mean, he wasn't his peak level, of course. He uh, kind of came down to earth a little bit. But assuming he keeps at least that up, he's going to make the Cubs a lot better, in my opinion. He's kind of the inverse to Garrett Cole, like you talked about a minute ago. He is an advanced statistician's dream. He was oh, almost, yeah. he was worth you know a full win more than Garrett Cole was. Mm-hmm. And he didn't get to 200 innings pitch, but he had well over 200 strikeouts. Right. He's at his worst. He's going to strike out a ton of guys, mm. and he's going to miss bats. And I think a lot of the you know the negativity towards him in the last you know, not negativity, but lack of enthusiasm. I think mm. is because he had a couple of bad outings in the World Series sure. on the biggest stage. Yeah, that's true. Now, but, did the Cubs go out? When did they go out? This past uh, NLCS. They also the Dodgers. So they made NLCS. Okay. Yeah. Well, I you know honestly, I, I don't know if they make the World Series this year, but uh, I think they got a better chance for sure, just because of Darvish. If, He's a great pitcher. If you're just looking at it from you know on paper, they they lost Jake Arrieta and they gained Yu Darvish, and I think that's a net positive. Mm, no, I agree. You know, not not factoring the dollars and everything like that. U Darvish is a better pitcher than Jake Arrieta, and they went to the NLCS with Jake Arrieta, so I think they're going to be a good team. The next the next big free agent on my list here is JD Martinez and he was one of the ones that was out there for a long time much, yeah. from the beginning of the offseason everybody kind of knew that he was either going to come back to Arizona or he was going to Boston and it took forever but he ended up in Boston and i think that's interesting because Boston has if you know if not the Marlins last year Boston might have had the best outfield in the league when I mean, you got Benatendi, um, Jackie Bradley Jr and Middle Tennessee's own rookie Betts. Right. Who now, should have been a Tennessee volunteer? Should have been, would have been a Tennessee volunteer. Yep. Um, so I mean, they're bringing him in, I guess, to DH. They might play some first base. I believe to DH. Yeah. Which I mean, 110 million for a DH is steep, but mm-hmm. in, you know, in the Red Sox peak years, you got big yep. poppy over there, DH, and so I guess they're you know, it's a sentimental signing for them, maybe. And and I had so many Red Sox conversations over the awesome, offseason because my brother is actually a Red Sox fan, and uh, so of course, JD Martinez came up a lot. And in my opinion, you know. I don't know why. Maybe I did not pay enough attention to the Diamondbacks this past year, but when I thought J.D. Martinez, I thought, okay, solid hitter, whatever. Could probably be a DH. And when I saw that contract, my first thought was, holy cow, that's a lot of money. Like, is that going to be worth it? But then when I looked at his stats, I thought, this guy is, you know, a match made in heaven in Boston. This guy can DH for five years if he wants to. Now, my only concern with it is, does that take the Red Sox out of the Bryce Harper sweepstakes? I don't know, because we talked about how the Yankees and the Dodgers specifically – were doing everything they could to get under that luxury tax number this year to reset reset their repeater tax, mm-hmm. so they have more money to spend next year. The Red Sox didn't do that. They, and, you know, and I don't. We're not getting this, like this is an informal podcast. We're not breaking down contract figures here. I don't know what their books look like, but with the signing, it kind of signals to me like maybe they don't care as much about that. Maybe they're going to go all in because. If there's a big free agent, the Red Sox are going to be involved with him for sure, right? You're right about that. And the Red Sox, you know, with their payroll, with their ability to pay, the luxury tax they need to, they should be on every year. I agree with you. And, I mean, J.D. Martinez, like you said, going back a few years, he's always been a solid hitter, you know, and he famously was, you know, let go by the Astros when they were rebuilding and went to Detroit, modeled his game after Miguel Cabrera, at least offensively, and became a really good player. But when he got traded to Arizona last year at the deadline, he went to a completely new level. He was an MVP-level player for the last two months of last season. And if the Red Sox are getting that player for $110 million, even if he's just a DH, if he's not giving you any defensive value, any base running value, that offense, you know, just that hitter in the lineup is well worth that money. He's for sure better than what they had. Eh? There's no debating. the Red Sox got better, in my opinion. Without a doubt. And that's what a big market team can do. They can, they can spend at a premium for good players in a way that teams like the Marlins and the Rays and the Pirates can't really do. So I, I – I think I like that signing from the Red Sox perspective. I, know, I think it's good. One. But at the same time, on the flip side of that, you have the Diamondbacks who had this MVP caliber player, they lost him, and their replacement for him was Jared Dyson. Who Jared mm-hmm. Dyson is not going to register with as many baseball fans as JD Martinez does. But Jared Dyson, I'm going to pull it up really quick, is he is a completely different player than JD Martinez. Mm-hmm. But when you just look at it from a value perspective, he is nearly as valuable when it comes to defense. And base running. Oh yeah, that for sure. So, I mean, you look at JD Martinez was, you know, in the I just I I got off the wrong page there, but he was near four wins last year in his best season by far. Mm -hmm. And Jared Dyson last year was two and a half wins in limited playing time. He had 350 at bats, which is a little over half a season. So if you extrapolate that out, he's roughly as valuable as JD Martinez was. So while offensively he's not nearly as good. I really like what the Diamondbacks did replacing J.D. Martinez with Jared Dyson. It's funny you say that because, you know what, I, th- I think this is probably the first time in this podcast so far that I'm going to disagree with you. But, okay. you know, I, I kind of got a hot take about that. So I'm going to group Jared Dyson and Eric Hosmer together a little bit just because, you know, former Royals signed with these new teams in yep. the NL West. So starting yep. with Dyson – Arizona, I feel like, is coming back down to earth this year. Uh, I don't – I mean, did they win the division this past year or win the wild card? They were wild card and they, they, beat, card. Yeah, and they beat Colorado in the wild card. Okay, yeah, that's, that actually definitely sounds right. So, uh, I, I don't think they're going to be bad this year, but I just feel like, you know, they were riding high on this new manager, Troy Lovallo. Um I don't know why. I guess losing JD, J.D. Martinez, maybe I'm super high on him. I feel like that's going to kind of bring them down just a little bit. Now, Dyson, you know, bringing him in, obviously is going to help the team more than anything, especially on defense. But I just don't feel like they're going to replace that offensive production that they've lost in Martinez. And then Hosmer, obviously, it's a completely different story. Uh, I just hate that sign because it's San Diego. Uh, there's there's no chance that Hosmer is going to make them any kind of a contender, right? But not at all. And that, by the way, friends, is a professional segue there from Jared Dyson to Eric Hosmer, the Padres don't seem to be falling in line with the tanking thing that everyone else is, because the Padres, no one thinks they're going to win the division. I, don't, I've never, I haven't even heard anyone think they're going to make the playoffs, yet they go out and they spend, what's $130 million on Eric Hosmer? 140 When their best player is probably Will Myers, who's a first baseman. Yeah. So what are, what are you doing? I, it's almost like those NBA teams who you know it's like they trade their entire team, they're tanking, they end up like the second or third pick in the NBA draft, and then mm-hmm. they sign a thirty-year-old small forward who is out of the league in two years, yeah, so, who's just good enough to get you you know in the eighth seed in the playoffs yeah, or to mediocrity. That feels like where the Padres are going. I mean, they've got they've got either the first or best first or second best farm system, mm-hmm. you know, depending on who you listen to. So there's a lot of talent coming up through the pipeline. And I guess if you already have that in your back pocket, you might as well spend some money on Eric Hosmer. You know, I see it, I guess, from that perspective. But at the same time, it just, as a baseball fan, you know, the way we've been trained to watch baseball over the last few years, it doesn't make sense to me why a bad team would sign a guy like Eric Hosmer. Who, I mean, he's an all-star, but would you say he's one of the best 10 first basemen in the league? I think, I mean, you, Borderline could, you could maybe make an argument for the ninth or the 10th best first baseman yeah. in the league, but now the, the Padres obviously just think they're a lot closer to the playoffs than 99% of the population thinks they are, which, speaking of professional transitions, I feel like it's the opposite situation, of the Milwaukee Brewers, especially yes. now that they've traded for Christian Yelich, they've signed Lorenzo Cain. Now that's an exciting outfield, in my opinion. That's that might be a good team, and they've still got some questions on the pitching side of things. Oh yeah, but you've still got Ryan Braun there. You've got um, I can't ever remember his name, the guy who came over to play first base from Korea last year. Who had? He oh had, Lord, what? he had the. I know exactly what you're talking about. His name. We, I can't like, remember his name. I'm going to put his lineup. Whatever he he came over from Korea had a great first couple of months. You still got him. Uh, that's going to be a good offensive team, if nothing else. You know, if you can string together some, you know, maybe MLB average pitching, they could challenge in that division. No, absolutely. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, the Brewers, for a minute there last year, they were the most exciting team in baseball. I mean, they were winning games. Uh, you could tell the players on that team were having fun. I mean, really, of course, ahead of schedule, uh, they were a rebuilding team who ended up being good last year. And it helps to have, in my opinion, one of the most. Interesting ballparks in America, sure, just from an aesthetic perspective. But you no, know, absolutely, I, I I like the Brewers with what they're doing. I mean, we're <laughs> gonna bring this back around to the Braves. We can't go more than <laughs> ten minutes without talking about them. I was the Braves. Braves fans really wanted Atlanta to trade for Christian Yelich, and me as a Braves fan, I really I wanted us to sign Lorenzo Cain. Sure. Because if you put him in the outfield with Ender Carty and Ronald Acuna in the coming years, I think that's a very formidable outfield. So I love what the Brewers did. Bringing in Kane and Yellich. I don't know if they're. I think they can compete with the Cubs. I think the Cubs are still a better team. Oh, miles ahead. But yeah. they, the Brewers have a lot of young talent coming up, too. And if they can just find a couple of decent pitchers in there. I mean, it takes a little luck, a couple injuries, and make it very easy. Sure, they could I be mean. right there getting the wild card, win the wild card game. You never know what's going to happen. So that was the last big free agent signing I wanted to talk about. Um, before we get out of here. There are still some pretty high-profile high, um, high profile guys unsigned. So let's touch on those real quick, and then we'll wrap this thing up. So first and foremost, we've we've kind of alluded to him a couple of times so far tonight. Jake Arietta, who was one of the best two or three pitchers on the board, is still out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been linked to the Phillies. He's been linked to the Nationals a little bit, which mm-hmm. that kind of surprised me. Um, didn't have a great year last year, but what do you think about Jake Arietta? Who who do you see him going to? What kind of impact do you see him having? Do you think he's going to get the money he's asking for this late in the offseason? Well, I mean, you mentioned the Nats and the Phillies, and really those are the only two teams I've even heard him linked to, and the Nats don't even need him. I mean, the Nats— Not at it, all. Was they, he their fourth starter or something? Yeah. If, if they send Jake Arrieta, I mean, they're 100% going for it this year. That's for sure, uh, because he would be a great bolster of that rotation. Now, the Phillies are not going to an interesting case because the last I read, they've got the most money in baseball in terms of, you know, uh, available— free agent money to use. So, obviously, even if they got Jake Arrieta, they would not be contenders this year. But between all the guys they've coming up in the system and all that, uh, I was going to say cat is obviously baseball, that's not a thing. But, um, no, the the Phillies could be interesting just because in a year or two, they could have something cooking, which worries me. It does. It makes me nervous. I almost, as a Braves fan, I almost hope he goes to Washington. Because if Washington goes all in on him to add him to Steven Strasburg, and Max Scherzer, Gio, and Gonzalez. Gio Gonzalez, and Tanner Roark—that's a probably the best pitching rotation in the league. Yeah. But they turn around next year, lose Bryce Harper, and then you're left, you know, owing twenty-five or thirty million dollars a year to all these pitchers who are in their thirties. Which, as an opposing fan base, I'm okay with. That. I hope that happens. The Phillies it makes me a little more nervous. Jake Arrieta—I'm looking at his baseball reference page right now. He's thirty-one. He's about to th- turn thirty-two. So, I'm. Mean, if the Phillies want to give him a six year deal, by all means. Yeah, I'm i it. I don't yeah, think that's a good idea. But if you can get him on a maybe one of those, you know, three year, three year hundred million dollar deals where you give him more per year, mm-hmm. fewer years, that starts to make me a little bit more nervous as an opposing it's a little team. Bit, yeah, the Phillies are one of those just it's just those rare scenarios when a team can go from nothing to something very quickly just because of the way they built that team. They could, they could. And they've you know, in the late portion of the last decade I don't know we call that the aughts is that what we're calling it the 2006 2007 2008 when they were well no the aughts refers to the teens see yeah I don't know the last from 2005 to about 2009 (laughs) when they were competing for divisions they made a couple of world series in there they won a world series didn't they I, I should know that. They beat the Rays in 2008. They did. That's right. So they were spending at a level of an elite, mm-hmm. you know, big market team. And they haven't done that the last few years because they've been rebuilding. Or and tanking. they learned their lesson on Ron Howard. Yeah, and you don't give money to 32-year-olds. So Who just, just tore their Achilles. Exactly. So when they get to a point where they think they're ready to, ready to compete, Philly is going to absolutely spend mm-hmm. some money, and that makes me nervous. Next on this list is Mike Mustakas. Who another guy who's been linked to the Braves a little bit? I think that ship has sailed. I don't think he's come to Atlanta. Yeah, he's not going back to to Kansas City. It doesn't seem like at this point. Where is he going to land? Well, in my notes, I put that I wish he would go to the Braves because it just seems like really? a no brainer. Yeah, it's just a like no brainer to me. I mean, you don't like to Margot at third base is a decent option, I guess. Yeah, because I've defended him for a long time, but I don't see any way in which he's ever just you know kind of an average third baseman. Uh, no, I would personally enjoy Mike Moustakas now for the price he would command. Yeah, probably not. Uh, and it's, it's weird. Like, the only teams I've heard him link to other than the Royals, because I, I don't know if he's going back there, would be the Mets. And the Mets, yeah. it's just like... They just signed Todd Frazier. Well, the Mets are like the Mariners. It's like they throw money around every couple of years, and for what? And what, what they're like, it's, it's like they always... Their plan is to spend money, but the plan never goes beyond that. Right, and the, the Mets are another interesting team, because three or four years ago, they had all of those young pitchers who were all throwing 100-plus miles yep. an hour, seem like, and now they're all hurt. Yep. But, you know, if they get Cindergard back, if they get, uh, you know, DeGrom stays healthy, Steven Matz, they're going to be a good team as mm-hmm. long as those pitchers are good. So I understand wanting to spend money to supplement that, but Mike Mustakis is a guy who I'm kind of like you. I, as a Braves fan, I would be okay with it if he comes on a one-year deal yeah. or a two-year deal at max. I don't want to give this guy four years because – He's shown not only the ability to get hurt, but the ability to have down years. And I, I don't want to be pot committed to a guy, you know, in year three or four of that contract. I don't want to deal with Nick Marquez at third base is what you're saying. Exactly. This is what we're talking about. He's a different player, but the same kind of yeah. thing. I don't want to owe him, you know, $20 million in 2021. No, I Want no part of it. I agree. Um, as far as other notable unsigned players, the other, only other guys I have here are Jonathan Lucroy, Alex Cobb, Lance Lynn. There's a few more who didn't make the list, but is there any of those guys or any other guys you might have that jump out to you that you want to talk about before you? get I mean, out Lance of here? Lynn, I mean, Lance Lynn and Alex Cobb are literally the exact same boat. They're both 30-year-old pitchers who, you know, if you add them, you know exactly what you're getting. You're getting some solid innings, something special. Luke Roy had such an year last year. He fell off so hard. He did. And I, I read an article the other day that was like pleading with the Nationals, please sign Jonathan Luke Roy. He's going to put you over the top. And I just thought – and it seems like a devonta top it seems like Matt weeder's 2.0 jonathan lucroy is a guy who the advanced stat guys loved when he was in milwaukee I He is a, incredible with the framing statistics he was one of he was probably the best catcher in the league there for a couple of years when it comes to defense and offense put together into a complete player but last year and even the year before that he just wasn't good. He I forgot mean, how to hit. Yeah. yeah, he forgot how to hit. The framing stats even went completely yeah. into the tank. Tyler I mean, Flowers is the new guy. You know, Tyler Flowers was you know, top five in Fangraphs War sure. for a while last year. <laughs> he it's was. not a Braves podcast. But uh, yeah, when it comes to Luke Roy, I just don't know that he's going to get a starting job anywhere at this point. Uh, he, he might find a starting job. I don't know. But I can't imagine him being a big-time impact player. And it's, it's funny you mention that because, I mean, I'm going down this list of free agents right now and, He's one of the better ones left, so I don't think... There's meant. not a lot out there at this uh-huh. point. I mean, for all the talk about it being a slow off season and there being these huge free agents left into spring training, there are a couple. But, I mean, really, most of the guys that are left are guys who aren't going to get big-time big, big time payday. So that'll wrap it up for tonight. This this pod got a little long. Thank you for making it with us to this point. Thank you for staying with us, for downloading, for listening. Please go on iTunes, like us, review us, give us five stars. Um, any review... Means a lot to us. Give us if you know if you have our phone number, text us, email us at informalpublication.gmail.com. Give us feedback. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Um, I've got it, kids to feed, so please help me out. Yes, Aaron Lewis could use any any sponsorship money that we can get. We're currently at zero dollars <laughs> on sponsorship money. So if you know anyone at SeatGeek, give them our give them our name. We will shill for any product that you're selling. But Thank you so much, Aaron Lewis, for coming on. I love talking baseball with you. I can't wait to do the season preview here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, the all season recap was great, but it embarrassed me by how little I knew about where people were going. So let's get to the season previews. So. Look, we knew about the important players, all right? Just because you didn't know Yengi Salarte, no one's knocking you for that, mm-hmm. all right? This was just a pre. This was basically setting the table for the big previews that we're going to do in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned with us for that. Um, shout out to Austin Coley in Absentia. Thank you once again to Aaron Lewis for coming on. Thank God, man. This was great. Um, on that note, thank you so much to our listeners, and we're out of here. Peace. Peace.